The views expressed in the following episode are those of the subjects interviewed or individual presenters from the case. They do not necessarily reflect the views of Reach Freaks LLC, the Invisible Choir podcast, or cast media. Reach Freaks. Invisible Choir explores detailed depictions of violence and murder and is not appropriate for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The day before you had gone with him to the pawn shop, what did he purchase at the pawn shop? He had got a gun. Was that gun in the car? Um, yes, ma'am. And could you see that gun? Yes, ma'am. Valentine's Day. It's a day of love and appreciation for most. A time to remind that special someone in your life just how much you care about them. With chocolate, roses, and maybe a night out on the town. You get the general idea. These are only some of the mainstream ideas we typically associate with this midwinter holiday. And while buying your partner material things is always a nice gesture, most would agree that above all, They want to feel loved, cared for, and safe and protected. See, the word love is thrown around rather loosely nowadays, especially during this time of the year. Love is a boisterous and powerful word, but actions, as we all know, speak louder. The term soulmate carries even more weight, and in this week's episode, we explore the dynamic of one seemingly normal romantic relationship that was eventually warped and manipulated. How these terms of endearment can turn to endangerment, gradually and over the course of time. They say that love is blind, and that very well may be true to a certain degree, but to the dismay of one individual who claimed to be a man of God. Well, it seems as though he may have skipped over this particular chapter in the Bible, because all that is secret will eventually be brought into the open. And everything that is concealed will be brought into the light and made known by all. From the book of Luke, chapter 8, verse 17. February 15, 2020, Fort Valley, Georgia. Residents on Bell Street notice something is out of the ordinary. A white 2013 Chevy Cruze is parked in an awkward position, and neighbors are starting to become curious. Brenda Vargas came home to find the vehicle parked between her house and another's. Upon closer examination, the car seems to have been wrecked, at least partially with the front bumper missing. Debris and grass hung down from the undercarriage, sticks wedged in the front end, as if the small sedan had been off-roading somewhere. Once authorities were notified, they found it equally as peculiar upon arrival. They immediately noticed a purse still sitting there on the driver's seat, inside of the car in plain view, and a feeling of collective anxiety began to set in. See, police had been looking for this particular vehicle for quite some time, but the owner was still nowhere to be found. After fishing out a driver's license and a pink wallet located inside of the purse, their suspicions were ultimately confirmed. This Chevy Cruze did indeed belong to 22-year-old Anitra Lachey Gunn. But who is Anitra Gunn? Well, to start, she is a fun-loving student at Fort Valley State University of Georgia in her senior year. She was studying agriculture and was part of her school's choir. She had a beautiful voice and smile that lit up any room she walked into. She was getting ready to graduate that year and head off into a world of her own. Independent, hardworking, and family-oriented were all words frequently used to describe Anitra by her peers. She served tables at a nearby restaurant called 1836, on top of keeping up with her studies and social life. Among and within that social life, she had many, many friends, and within that group of friends, she was eventually introduced to a man named Demarcus Little. Demarcus and Anitra were around the same age and hit it off rather quickly. 
she a promising, soon-to-be college graduate, and he a U.S. Army soldier stationed at Fort Gordon in Augusta, Georgia. DeMarcus lived about a two-hour and 45-minute drive from Anitra's college campus, but he came home to visit fairly often. He'd usually stay with his aunt, who lived close by to Anitra's apartment, making it easy for the two to get together. They both came from good families and, by all accounts, had a great relationship in the beginning. Anitra was excited about dating DeMarcus, but it wouldn't be long before her friends began to express that they didn't share the same enthusiasm for her new boyfriend. One of her best friends, Sierra Stewart, was among the first to notice that DeMarcus had some controlling tendencies. At times, he could be extremely jealous and didn't want Anitra speaking with any other men. He soon began texting her more and more, quite excessively in fact, and would quickly become upset if Anitra didn't answer back right away. Anitra was a busy woman and had a life of her own with a lot going on. The last thing she needed was some guy bringing her down, questioning her whereabouts constantly when she was more than likely in class or at work. This sort of behavior surely wouldn't be tolerated for long, and the two began to fight more and more frequently. Anitra eventually had to block DeMarcus's cell phone number because her text notifications were ringing off the hook. Once blocked, he would then turn to Snapchat, and when he couldn't get a hold of her there, he used WhatsApp, an application more commonly used for secure free international messaging. This was done after Anitra had blocked him on every other means of communication the two otherwise used. Her friends warned her that things were heightening to an unhealthy level and suggested they break up. DeMarcus would take the nearly three-hour drive sometimes from Fort Gordon and show up at Anitra's apartment unannounced. Anitra was annoyed more than anything. Still, she tried to make the relationship work, talking DeMarcus's increasingly aggressive behavior up to a man who simply loved her and just had a funny way of showing it. DeMarcus constantly displayed signs of compulsive and obsessive behavior, mostly via text message, and then would become extremely apologetic immediately following. But in 2019, after not even a full year of dating, the relationship became too much of a stressor. Anitra finally decided to take her friend's advice and broke things off with DeMarcus at least for the time being. I think we should stop talking to each other altogether. That's the only way you'll be able to process what's actually going on. And I won't keep changing my mind just to accommodate your feelings. Anitra texted this to DeMarcus on November 1st, 2019. And let's face it, no breakup is ever easy. Anitra knew DeMarcus would be hurt by this, but that was never her intention. It came to a point where the two could not even maintain a friendship, in her opinion. Toxic was the word Anitra used herself to describe their relationship. DeMarcus had grown so erratic in his attempts to locate and speak with her at all times, she suggested it was best if they ceased communication for a while. But DeMarcus wasn't having it. Clearly in a fragile mind state as he was already, DeMarcus responded back hours later, going to the extreme by threatening to take his own life. I swear I don't want you to feel responsible, Anitra. I was broken before you ever came along, and now there's nothing left. You broke me down until I had nothing left. So deal with the consequences that come behind it. Hopefully you'll learn not to play with nobody else's emotions like that. So you're blaming me for wanting to take your own life? God's gift to you? But in all the other paragraphs you sent me, you're telling me not to blame myself and it isn't my fault? You're clearly not thinking straight right now. This is where we begin to see a pattern of manipulation play out by DeMarcus Little. He threatens to kill himself, yet reassures his now ex-girlfriend not to feel guilty for his potential untimely demise. This is classic conniving behavior of your typical abuser. He's actually covertly implying that she should feel responsible if he does, in fact, decide to go through with it. Not wanting this on her conscience, Anitra feels obligated to keep the lines of communication open, thus granting DeMarcus Little what he wants in the end, control. But this is only the tip of the iceberg. Add me back on Snapchat. 
Like, bruh, we finna have some serious problems if you go out with him or my mama. These text messages were sent on November 6th, 2019, among several others. It seemed to be yet another occasion where Anitra had blocked Demarcus, and he was desperate to find any way he could to reach her. He's somehow caught wind of another man that Anitra may or may not have been talking with less than a week after she and Demarcus had broken up. It's unclear who or what his source may have been for learning this information. Regardless, he's convinced he knows who this individual is and threatens to take action against him. Demarcus sends out a worrisome text to a friend of his, screenshots the conversation, and then sends it to Anitra. What up, brother? I might need you to slide on somebody, 100. Who that? Finna get it on. Hold up right quick. Like, send me a picture of a car. I'll shoot it up for 200. Just send me the Addy. Sit on it for two weeks, because that's when I'll be home and pull up on car with the sticks and see what he talking about. For those listening who are unfamiliar with the vernacular, Demarcus isn't referring to the nice rural Georgia countryside when he mentions sticks here. He's in fact proposing that this friend of his show up with a gun and engage with the individual in question for the low price of $200. Demarcus only perceives his target to be his ex's new love interest with no concrete evidence. Even so, his willingness to have someone killed over this gives us just a bit of insight into the type of guy we're dealing with. These types of threats and harassment would continue rigorously, and showing up to Anitra's home unannounced only became more routine. You just came into my house last night without open invitation, touched me several times after me repeatedly asking you not to, forcefully took my keys away from me, but when I retaliated, I was the bad guy. This was Anitra texting Demarcus after one of these impromptu visits on November 13th, 2020. And unfortunately, things kept going on like this for months. Come out. Let me make it up to you and take you out. You know how I feel about you. I want to make it right with my best friend. We can go to Zen's and to the movies. Okay? January 20th, 2020. Demarcus Little has been outside of Anitra's apartment for an unsettling amount of time. She tries to ignore his presence, but eventually, she has had enough. Either leave, or I'ma call the police. Really, bro? I came out here to talk. I didn't even come here for all that. LOL, go and be mad then, bro. You really mad that I fucked someone, and that's what it is? According to the last text message exchange... Anitra and Demarcus had apparently still been romantically involved, sporadically at least after the breakup. Anitra does become upset at one point after learning that while this was going on, Demarcus had also been having sex with an old girlfriend of his on the side, only complicating their situation further. You still mad? Like you gonna let me make it up to you? We can just order pizza and chill. Let me know something, because I can just hop on a road and head home. Head home. Finally, he gives up, and Anitra watches as Demarcus's black Toyota Corolla, with a red pinstripe down the side, drives off. The specifics of his vehicle will become more relevant down the line, but he wasn't gone for long. A mere 24 hours later, Demarcus Little would be back sitting in front of Anitra's home, only this time he would cross the line from digital intimidation to physical action. You flattened my tires, D? Shit not a coincidence, bruh. My shit wasn't flat when I got home yesterday. So now I'm missing class because I don't have a way to campus. Why would you do that, dude? You know my struggle. I did nothing wrong to you. Demarcus was the kind of guy who wasn't very happy when he didn't get his way. A man-child, if you will. He decided to slash Anitra's tires leaving her without a way to travel to school or work. In Demarcus's eyes, this was payback for not answering his text messages or phone calls. And frankly, just one more example of where Demarcus demonstrates an attempt to control Anitra. Now she won't even be able to leave the house 
he'll know exactly where she is. And above all, she won't have a way to visit whatever new boyfriend he confusingly believes she had. However, not long after this incident, Anitra did meet someone new. It was nothing serious, but while working her shift at the 1836 restaurant, a man named David Howard, otherwise known as Scoot, came in to pick up his to-go order. He was a barber with his own shop located within the same plaza just next door. Scoot began coming around more and more regularly, and presumably not just for the food. He was hoping to speak with Anitra more than anything, and the two eventually exchanged information, namely their Snapchat usernames. Scoot was polite, cordial, and respectful, possessing all of the redeeming qualities Mr. Demarcus Little seemed to be lacking, though it's unclear if Demarcus actually knew what was going on at the time, as he had been letting his imagination get the best of him regardless. Yet in the early morning hours of February 5th, 2020, while laying in bed together, Anitra and Scoot woke to a loud crashing noise of what sounded to be broken glass. Alarmed, the two quickly turned on the lights and began to search around the apartment. The noise sounded like it had come from inside of the home. Upon further investigation, Anitra quickly discovered a brick lying on her floor that had clearly been thrown through a window. Anitra immediately knew who did it. That part was obvious. When Scoot asked who she thought may have done such a thing, she told her new friend of only nine days that she had no idea. When she went outside, she noticed her tires had also been slashed again. This was the second time DeMarcus had done this in less than a month. She ultimately did notify the police, but when they visited the home later on that morning, they asked a similar question. Who do you think would have done this? To which she responded to the officer the way she did to Scoot, that she wasn't sure. So you had, were they flat first time or completely cut? Like, flat. I had... Oh, somebody just did the air or they had to do the plastic? Okay. Did you report that? No. The police body cam audio is a bit hard to make out here. But what the officer asks here is if Anitra has had any issues with anyone in the past, or if she'd, quote, exchanged words with anyone recently. She again denied having any knowledge of who the perpetrator may be, though a visible look of fear then comes over Anitra's face when the officer informs her of what might come next, based on his experience. The reason why I'm asking these questions, uh, most of the time, when things like this happen, and they do stuff like this, and if you hear anything or somebody contact you or tell somebody about word tomorrow, they may have possibly been involved with this, let us know. Because if it happened before, then if it's happening now, chances are it's going to happen again. Anitra can be seen standing wide-eyed as a moment of brief pause lingers between her and the officer. Eventually, police left the scene and Demarcus Little's name was never mentioned. And so, the chaos continued, but clearly, it was only escalating. Friends pleaded with Anitra to be safe, as they too could tell things were quickly getting worse. But Anitra didn't seem overly concerned. No one close to her was fond of Demarcus whatsoever by this point, and for obvious reasons. Yet, as it does happen in a lot of tumultuous relationships, we see individuals return to that toxic partner in some capacity over and over again. And as most of us know by now, it's never quite as easy to just walk away, especially when you're unknowingly in an abusive relationship. Perhaps Anitra felt bad for Demarcus. Maybe she genuinely did love him. More than likely, she had been manipulated and her psyche had been broken down by his tactics over time. Whichever the case may be, for one reason or another, the two did subsequently hang out with each other again. Not often, but on a few more occasions. This, again, only made their situation more complex, as both Demarcus and Anitra were now seeing other people. 
Things would be fine one day, and the next it was right back to the old DeMarcus, making threats and calling Anitra's phone upwards of 60 times in a row. After more weeks of Snapchat, WhatsApp, and blocking and unblocking cell phone numbers, DeMarcus sends this message to Anitra, dated February 10th, 2020. I don't care if I'm 100 years old, baby. You'll always be on my mind, and I'll visit your grave when you leave me and lay with you and tell you how grateful I am to have been able to love you, and I'll keep our memories alive. You're my legacy, baby. I'm literally trying typing this. Till death do us part. Nobody can take you from me, and can't nobody take me from you. When it's all said and done, Nitra, we'll know if it was worth it. This is our book. We're writing this together. I'll let you focus on class. Love you, Anitra Lachey Little. Anitra responded with this message the very next day. Learn to take an L for once in your life. Sit in your shit pile, D. Like you really finna try me to put a restraining order on you. I don't want to go that far. You in the army. You have a whole life of your own to tend to. Leave me alone, bro. Final fucking warning. A few days later on Friday, February 14th, Valentine's Day, Anitra was scheduled to work at the restaurant but she never showed up for her shift. I saw her paycheck. We got paid last week. She was supposed to get a paycheck on Friday, like everyone else. The unknowned absence was very unlike Anitra, as she never missed a shift at work, let alone not giving her boss or co-workers any sort of heads-up or advance notice. She was known to speak with her friends and family on a regular basis, by text, phone call, and via FaceTime. But after it had been several hours since anyone had heard back from her, it didn't take much longer for her father to realize that something was terribly wrong. She has a big, big family, um, so she's always contacting somebody. She has, you know, some close friends, too. I call some of her close friends and have them do the same thing. She never takes them back, didn't call them back. That's when uh, we just knew something, something is definitely uh, out of whack. Christopher Gunn, Anitra's father, wasted no time in trying to locate his daughter. He called Fort Valley Police and asked them to do a welfare check. When police stopped by, there were no signs of anyone being at the residence. But her car was also missing from the driveway. And as soon as Christopher heard this, he was on his way to file a missing persons report the very next morning, taking the two-hour trip from his home in Atlanta. But after a few more days had passed, and there was still no sign of Anitra. Efforts to find the college student began to aggressively ramp up. Law enforcement in Fort Valley still searching for missing Fort Valley State University student Anitra Gunn. Gunn went missing sometime between Thursday night and Friday morning. Peach County Sheriff Terry Deese spoke to the media to explain what law enforcement was doing about all of this, as a multi-district task force was now in full effect. We've also been out here searching the wood line, uh, ditches, anything. I mean, we're just looking for anything that would help us find Miss Gunn. Search parties deployed all throughout the county and beyond. And Anitra's father and her siblings were some of the first boots on the ground in the search. Her friends also took to Snapchat and Twitter, sharing information using the hashtag FindAnitra. Students at Fort Valley State University became worried when 23-year-old Anitra Gunn went missing on Valentine's Day. Many unanswered questions raced through students' minds while they searched for Gunn. They see any flyers because that's the first thing you should do. You should identify them. You should let everybody know who they are. I was, I was wondering, like, you know, how could this happen? Like, we just seen her the night before at the pageant, and then, you know, all of a sudden she's missing. What could have happened? You know, has anybody contacted her or anything like that? And it's moments like that where, you know, you lose faith but sometimes you have to come together, fight, and pray. Despite everyone's best efforts, there was still no sign of Anitra, and it appeared as though she simply vanished into thin air. There was one man who almost everyone was suspicious of, though, and that's Demarcus Little, Anitra's ex, of course. Law enforcement always wants to speak to the ex-boyfriend, but this case seemed to have more probable cause than most. At one point during one of the searches, DeMarcus FaceTimed Anitra's father, asking if he had any news of her whereabouts. He then informed Christopher Gunn that he was with his daughter on Valentine's Day at his aunt's house, but she eventually left because she had a job interview that morning. 
Anitra's brother Antoine had also been contacted by DeMarcus in the hours after she had first gone missing. Her boyfriend had texted me and was like, just trying to throw my head out, like trying to mix my head up about what's going on with the situation. It was like, have I heard from my sister? Like said that she she left his house um, like that morning. She hasn't, and he hasn't seen her at all anymore. And I was at work at the time and I was like, well, no, I haven't heard from her. Um, I, I texted her the day before, but that's it. And he was just like, well, yeah, um, she hasn't, she hasn't really been anywhere. All of this seemed awfully strange, and police thought so too. So DeMarcus Little was brought in for questioning a total of three separate times, but ultimately he was let go after each time. They didn't have enough to hold him or charge him with a crime. During one search, DeMarcus Little joined the family, and things got only weirder. Out of nowhere over on Bell Street, where the group had been looking, DeMarcus would be the first one to notice and conveniently point out Anitra's missing vehicle, the white 2013 Chevy Cruze. The family found his discovery quite odd, as DeMarcus seemed to lead them directly to this exact spot, as if he'd known where it was all along. If they hadn't been completely suspicious of him at this point to begin with, they surely were now. But it wouldn't be until a friend of DeMarcus's actually came forward with some very telling information that the truth of what really happened to a Nitra Lachey gun would finally be revealed. And we have to warn you, the details of the events recalled next are explicit in nature. Please be advised. February 13th, 2020. The evening before Valentine's Day, Anitra Gunn, Demarcus Little, and friends Tracy King and Javon Abron all attended a college party in the Fort Valley, Georgia area. After a fun night out, the four then left together, heading to Demarcus Little's aunt's home at 420 Chestnut Hill. From there, Tracy claimed he needed to go home because he was scheduled to work in just a few hours. Javon Abron then leaves with Tracy to drop him off, driving DeMarcus's car. DeMarcus and Anitra remain at the aunt's residence for a short while and then leave again around 1.30 a.m., now driving Anitra's car. The two head to a nearby Waffle House for a meal, arriving at just after 2 a.m. and leaving the restaurant at approximately 2.28. DeMarcus and Anitra then return back to his aunt's house. While entering, DeMarcus's aunt is awake and sees the two entering the home together. She engages with them before they enter one of the bedrooms. DeMarcus then closes the door behind him. At some point during a conversation the two were having, sitting on the edge of the bed, DeMarcus confesses his love to Anitra once more. Allegedly, in response, she laughed in his face, which angered DeMarcus Little so much that he blacked out in a rage. He then began punching Anitra repeatedly in the face and started to strangle her. She frantically struggled, but eventually was rendered unconscious due to the lack of oxygen. DeMarcus continued to choke her, even after she stopped moving, until ultimately she was killed in that bedroom. Before Javon Abron returned home with the black Corolla, DeMarcus wrapped Anitra's body in a blanket and then dragged her remains to the driveway. He then put her body in the trunk of her own car. After the sun came up, DeMarcus decided to take a drive, so he left his cell phone plugged into the wall at his aunt's house, but takes Anitra's phone with him. He then hops into his car and begins responding to Happy Valentine's Day text messages from friends and family on Anitra's iPhone. One of the first happened to be from the man Anitra had just met, Scoot. 8.11 a.m. I'm about to see you. DeMarcus sends this text to Scoot from Anitra's phone, not only impersonating her, but attempting to arrange a meetup. Send me a location. I'm coming. Scoot immediately became skeptical. He can tell by the cold and short text messages that this wasn't Anitra talking. The person on the other end of the phone sends another message, asking Scoot to reveal his location so they could go out on a date for Valentine's Day. 
but the two didn't actually have any plans arranged for the holiday. Scoot knew something was up and ultimately ceased the conversation, at least for the time being. It picked up again a few hours later. Scoot had actually left a different cell phone, which he uses for his clients at Anitra's house the night before she went missing. At around 10 a.m., he texted Anitra's cell, asking if he could meet up to get his device back. The person on the other end responded with this message. Send me your address. I'll bring it. Anitra already knew where Scoot lived, as it was just a few houses down from her own. She wouldn't have been asking for his address, so he knew whoever he had been speaking with since 8 a.m. that morning still had Anitra's phone and was pretending to be her. At around 11.15, another text allegedly from Anitra came through on Scoot's phone. We can't fuck with each other anymore. It was fun while it lasted, but I need to work on myself. So don't come by my house. By this point, Scoot is wildly confused. This appeared to be some sort of breakup text, but he and Anitra were not actually dating by any stretch, and that had been well established, as they'd only barely met just the week before. Just then, Scoot noticed a black Toyota Corolla with a red pinstripe on the side outside of his residence, driving slowly up and down the road. He couldn't make out the identity of the individual inside, but he did conclude it was a male, and there was only one person in the car. He'd never seen the vehicle before, but he could tell the person was looking for something, or someone. The driver crept up and down the road several more times before eventually speeding off. Sensing something was very wrong, Scoot then notified the police. At around 12.30 in the afternoon that same day, DeMarcus picks up Javon from his aunt's house. The two then proceed to a local pawn shop to purchase a 9mm handgun. They then return to his aunt's house at about 1pm. Javon stays at the residence while DeMarcus gets into Anitra's vehicle, which was still parked there in the driveway with her lifeless body in the trunk. DeMarcus then drives roughly two miles to a remote wooded area off Greer Road in Fort Valley, Georgia. He took the Chevy Cruze down an unpaved, grassy path, and at some point on his trek down the bumpy terrain, he clipped a tree, knocking the entire front bumper clean off the car. He then exited Anitra's vehicle, proceeded toward the trunk, and dumped her body there by a tree line, hastily covering her remains with a brush and several twigs. DeMarcus then abruptly fled the scene. While driving, he contacts Javon from his phone, telling him to go to Anitra's house to check on her, most certainly in an effort to build some kind of alibi. He then abandons the vehicle soon after on Bell Street at around 2 p.m., roughly four miles where he had just disposed of Anitra Gunn's body. A woman saw a man fitting DeMarcus Little's description pacing nervously around the white Chevy Cruze just before hopping into a black Toyota Corolla. Javon then picks DeMarcus up, and the two do some shopping at Walmart and Target, and then spend the evening at DeMarcus's father's home. A couple of days pass, and other than being questioned by police and subsequently let go, DeMarcus Little remains a free man. February 16, 2020. DeMarcus Little and Javon Abron attend a Sunday Mass together. After DeMarcus quietly repents for his sins, the two leave the church and get into the black Toyota Corolla. While DeMarcus is driving, the burden of what he has done to Anitra can no longer be carried alone. It's important to note that the following is an account of Javon Abron. According to him, up to this point, he had no knowledge of Anitra Gunn's death. While in the car, DeMarcus apparently comes clean to his friend about everything, confessing every last gruesome detail. While he is revealing the order of events in which all of this took place, DeMarcus is driving toward the wooded area he'd dumped Anitra's body just days before. He then begins to tell Javon that he needs his help recovering Anitra's bumper that had fallen off and been left behind at the scene. Javon remembers that the 9mm DeMarcus had just purchased was sitting there in the center console in plain sight. Allegedly, Javon is now in fear for his own safety and complies in assisting DeMarcus. Once they arrive in the wooded area, 
The bumper is found a few mere feet from where Anitra has been laying for close to three days. The two try to cram the bumper into Demarcus's trunk, but it won't fit. They frantically move the back row of seats down in order to finagle the large plastic piece into Demarcus's car. After some minor adjustments, they finally make it fit and take off down the remote beaten path. But they didn't retrieve all of it, however, as they left behind a small section of plastic that was once beneath the front undercarriage of the Chevy Cruze. The two men then got onto the freeway, and the bumper is thrown from the moving vehicle into a ditch bank off the interstate. DeMarcus thought at this point he was home free, and that he could trust his friend and now fellow accomplice, Javon Abron, to remain silent. But two days later, on February 18, 2020, it would turn out that neither of DeMarcus's assumptions would remain true. Uh, today at 319, uh, deputies and members of the task force were out riding because of the weather. We couldn't get the helicopter up, so they were just riding, looking. Uh, we had an idea of the, the bushes and sticks that were in the front of the grill of her car. Uh, so the deputies were kind of looking for those areas, uh, the area he found her at. He saw something similar, a little roadway going down into the woods rode down in to the car wouldn't go anymore because of the rain. Uh, about 150 yards off the roadway, he found the piece of the car, part of the car piece that we've been looking for, uh, found Miss Gunn laying very close to part of that front bump. You know, we're going to turn the body over to the GBI Crime Lab. You know, they have still got to verify that this is who we think it is, but, you know, at this time, it hasn't been confirmed. On a cold and gloomy afternoon in Crawford County, Georgia, a deputy came across the body of Anitra Lachey Gunn. Sheriff Terry Deese spoke with the media shortly thereafter, not shying away in the slightest, stating who law enforcement believed to be responsible for this horrific crime. I think it's pretty common sense who our person of interest is. Can you say it, though, out loud? Uh, it's the boyfriend. I mean, we've talked to him three times. Uh, so. Anything suspicious with what he's telling you? Why, why keep bringing him back in? Has the story changed since the first interview? We can't tell you. I mean, that's part of the investigative process. Still not enough to arrest, though, obviously. Not at this point. This was no longer a missing persons case, as it was now a homicide investigation. And Sheriff Terry Deese was right. They didn't yet have enough evidence to arrest DeMarcus Little, not for murder anyway. Therefore, that same day, police would get creative, eventually arresting him for criminal property damage in regard to the broken window at Anitra Gunn's home back on February 5th. While Little was in custody, the GBI would conduct their autopsy, confirming Anitra's death to in fact be the result of a homicide. Days later, on February 21st, Little appeared in court for the property damage charge, and a bond was ultimately set for $10,000. DeMarcus's father Andre showed up in support of his son, speaking to his son's character following the hearing outside of the courtroom. You know, we're here today for granted bond hearing for a criminal damage property, and we're just glad that he was granted bond for that particular matter. You know, so he can get back to his career in the United States Army. Well, it just hurt me to see him come in and shackles like that, like he's a criminal. My son's never done anything anymore. Uh, he didn't do this incident. I can sympathize with the family. I truly do. I have daughters. I even have one in college, and, I, and something like that would happen to her. I would be devastated. But my son didn't do this. He was raised the right way. He's not violent. Never been in a fight, never having a criminal background. He's a good he's a good kid, a good soldier, serving our country proud. You know, so she was a very intelligent, smart young lady. And um, I'm, I'm very sad that this happened to her. And I very I hope they find the killers soon, whoever did this to her. She didn't deserve that. But my son didn't do this. It mostly annoys me how uh, certain media and, and social media and certain people and uh and society have uh, destroyed him, slamming his name. They don't really know the real Demarcus Little. The real Demarcus Little was a very humble young man. He made sergeant three years in the United States Army. He doesn't have any, anything on his background, any blemishes, nothing. Nobody can't say nothing bad about my son. He's been here on this earth 22 years. 
and can't no one say anything terrible about my son. Evidently, Andre Little is still very much in the dark of this entire situation. No parent ever wants to believe their child could do something as indignant and vile as what his son is now being accused of. He's under the impression that DeMarcus would be coming home that afternoon, but he would not. He was never released on that $10,000 bond, as DeMarcus Little was now charged with malice murder in the death of Anitra Gunn just hours later. Mr. Little unlawfully and with malice aforethought caused the death of Miss Gunn by manual strangulation. Little's attorney, Benjamin Davis, spoke with the media following the hearing, proclaiming his client's innocence, harping on and reiterating his involvement with the U.S. Army. He's really not capable of committing this kind of offense. Uh, if he were uh, the kind of person that would commit a malice murder against an individual like this, that would have been born out in the military. After putting together the pieces of Anitra's final whereabouts on Earth, police learned that Javon Abram had also been one of the last people to see her alive. He had already been questioned twice before and had made false statements to investigators both times. But when he was arrested on February 26th, he would eventually end up telling law enforcement the entire story, including his role in helping to cover up the crime. Two weeks after her death, Anitra Gunn was finally laid to rest, with services held at the Greater Baptist Church in her hometown of Opelika, Alabama. The number of friends and family that gathered, filling every aisle and every pew, is a remarkable realization of just how loved this young woman was by her community. Reverend Justin Freeman had these words to say about Anitra, a woman with a voice that will never be forgotten. has stopped singing. No, she hasn't stopped singing. She just changed choir. Anitra's friends and co-workers from the 1836 restaurant also took to the podium, expressing their final goodbyes, some having traveled over two hours to pay their final respects. She basically showed me what it was to be a friend. Um, she showed me that a bond is only as strong as its weakest link. And as soon as I can walk in the door, I would hear that voice saying, Welcome, Mel Williams, to 1836. She was beautiful when I first met her. She loved to sing. Childhood friend Deontay Nelson was close with Anitra even after she moved away to Atlanta in 2013. He spoke with the local news media, expressing what a great loss he and so many others had been forced to endure as a result of Anitra's tragic murder. No matter how far she moved, friendship still was the same. And, you know, it kind of hurt knowing this is going to be my last time seeing her. But, I mean, God does everything for a reason. Just tensed up, shaking, crying. Didn't know what to do. Couldn't sleep. But when I came here today, I feel ten times better. It would be another long and excruciating two years before this case was finally brought to trial. But before that could even happen another tragedy would strike and another life was lost. New developments in the case of an older man police say was hit and killed by a dump truck driver in southwest Atlanta. Atlanta police have now charged the truck driver. On the two-year anniversary of Anitra's murder, almost to the exact day, her father Christopher Gunn was working his route as a waste collector, driving a trash truck for the city of Atlanta. On February 15, 2022, 70-year-old Jerry Hood was walking past the YMCA on the 2200 block of Campleton Road. It's unclear as to how exactly this happened, but Mr. Gunn's trash truck went up onto the curb, accidentally striking and killing the elderly man there on the sidewalk. Jerry Hood's family is having a hard time accepting how he died. They say that's primarily because the 70-year-old father and grandfather was just walking on the sidewalk. 
And every time you talked to him to one, I love you, you know, he would always tell you he loved you when he got off the phone. He was just a good guy. Atlanta police tell us the driver of the garbage truck remained on the scene, but they have charged Christopher Gunn with failure to yield and second degree vehicular homicide. As if there couldn't have been any more devastation, now one more family was left to grieve. Perhaps Mr. Gunn simply wasn't paying attention, with the anniversary of his murdered daughter surely weighing heavily on his mind. Regardless, he was booked at the Fulton County Jail. This tragic matter is still ongoing. What we do know is that Christopher Gunn was in fact present when DeMarcus Little's murder trial began just a few short weeks later on March 7, 2022. just so happens that before this case was eventually brought before a judge, Anitra's bumper was found off the side of the highway, roughly two years after it had first been thrown out of DeMarcus Little's black Toyota Corolla. The bumper was indeed a significant piece of evidence for the prosecution, but perhaps the most damning evidence to DeMarcus Little's defense was without a doubt the testimony of his friend, Javon Abron. He, he just thought he was like, man, you know, I was talking to me, bro, and I, I was pouring my heart out to her, bro. I was talking to her, and she was like, um, talking to her how I feel about it, and how, you know, how, how much I love her and stuff. And he was like, um, she ended up laughing in my face. He was like, Brian, I don't know what happened. I just blacked out, and I, and I hit her. And he was like, when he was like, after that, like, he just, Javon claims that when DeMarcus confided in him of what he had done, he told him that he continued to choke Anitra because she eventually stopped resisting. DeMarcus took this as a sign that she was giving up and willingly wanted to join her deceased mother in the afterlife. When you're hearing DeMarcus tell you this, what do you think? You're tripping. I'm shocked. He didn't say shit to me. You kept me in the blind. You could have just told me what's up and let me pick and choose what I got to do. You know what I'm saying? If I stayed with you that Friday, that Friday, I would never, you know, I wouldn't have been able to be there to pick you up if you would have just told me what the fuck happened from the jump. You could have just took me home. And so I'm sitting there thinking like, this, this nigga crashed out. Like an idiot, he crashed out just because she didn't want to be there no more. Like, that's, that shit was dumb. Did he tell you what he did with a nature's body? Yes, ma'am. What did he tell you? He had a total that on He had told me that he had um, took her and dumped her in the woods. I, you know, he was telling me, like, yeah, I had to get rid of her. And he was like, but I gotta go get this bumper. And that's what he was pulling in the wood. And I, I might shit on myself. Why? Because I was scared. I don't got my phone. This man, this man just told me, you know, if you just murder somebody, and it's like, if I move wrong, 
I'm be fine for my life. It wasn't just Abram's detailed account of what took place that eliminated any possibility that DeMarcus Little might miraculously not have been involved. He made several mistakes on his own and apparently didn't even cover his tracks. See, DeMarcus, for some reason, had his cell phone on his person the entire time he was disposing of Anitra's body. Forensic specialists were able to track his precise whereabouts, matching the location to where Anitra had been found all consistent with the timeline others had provided. But what is rather curious is how DeMarcus's aunt, Shree Talbert, allegedly hadn't seen or heard anything while this murder took place inside of her home. She would ultimately take the stand and leaned quite heavily on the fact that she was simply a very, very heavy sleeper. Did you ever hear any commotion in your house that sounded like somebody was being attacked? No. Did you hear anybody screaming out? No. Any kind of struggle? No. And did you tell that to the police? Did you tell the police that? That you didn't hear anything? I told them I didn't hear anything. Okay. And that you didn't see anything. Did you also um, explain to them that um, the person you know, Mark? Yes, Mark is, I mean, he's a sweet the prosecution's main objective was establishing a timeline for the jury, so a detailed floor plan diagram of the home was also entered into evidence. Ask you about a young lady by the name of Anitra Gunn. Did you ever meet her? I did. And had she ever been to your house? Yes, ma'am. And how did you know Anitra? Um, through DeMarcus. Were DeMarcus and Anitra seeing each other? Yes. And upon them seeing each other, she had been to your home? Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Tell me how you knew somebody that got to the house. Um, I heard uh, a noise outside, like, and I went to the door, and I, like, I heard talking, and so I went to the door. And um, I have an oval glass door where I looked up on them, and I saw it was uh, Anitra and DeMarcus. So I opened the door. So you opened the door, and you said you saw Anitra and DeMarcus. You recognized Anitra? Yes. And of course, you recognized DeMarcus. Yes. And when you open the door and you see that it's Anitra and DeMarcus, what do you do then? Um, she spoke and said, hey, and I said, hey. And I went back to the laundry. Anitra stopped at the laundry room where I was. And um, she said, I spoke to you. And I said, I heard you. I said, you're doing all right? And she said, yeah, DeMarcus went on back to the bedroom, um, the last bedroom on the left. And did you see where Anitra went after she spoke to you? After she spoke to me, she went back. DeMarcus's aunt claimed she rushed out of the home early that morning at around 8 a.m. as she was late for work. Whether she knows more than what she is admitting remains to be seen. Regardless, she is not the one on trial here. Her nephew is. And while she made sure to tell the court just what a sweet boy DeMarcus Little was, the defendant didn't do himself any favors when he shocked everyone, deciding to take the stand in his own defense. As the evidence that's been put in, you can help me understand how it says one thing and you're saying something else, okay? All right. Now, first, I want to talk about yours and Anitra's relationship. That was your soulmate. Now, to your soulmate, you slashed your soulmate's tires. Is that correct? You broke your soulmate's window. All right. You threatened to shoot up a man that your soulmate was going out with. You uh, told her that you were committing suicide and it was her fault, correct? You saw the text message where she said that you were outside her house and you wouldn't leave. You did that on repeated occasions, correct? You showed up at her house uninvited, correct? She repeatedly told you, stop coming back, didn't she? She told you that your relationship was toxic and that you couldn't be together, correct? Yes, ma'am. And every time 
You talked her back in to the two of you being together, didn't you? Your statement is, I just don't have it in me. I couldn't tell. Is that right? So which DeMarcus Little should we believe? The one today or the one that threatened to kill before? I'm the same person I am. That's right. You're the same person. I'm not the person that you started making me out to be. Well, so those are your words, aren't they? Yeah, those are my words. But we were going through a difficult time, and we always made it work. And, and at those times, when I did send those text messages. Yes, I wasn't thinking. I said it, but I didn't mean it. And we always made it work, regardless of what we were going through. So I'm not the person that you're trying to make me out to be like I'm a monster. Because if I was a monster, she would have left me a long time ago. But we know what was going on. It's something that you want to understand. Every relationship has problems. We all know that. If I was a monster, she would have left me a long time ago. These are the words of a true narcissist, a manipulator who had the audacity to somehow deny his involvement in this crime. But prosecutor Dawn Baskin was not one to be manipulated, as she continually backs DeMarcus Little into a proverbial corner, challenging him time and time again, repeatedly breaking down any shred of a defense he might have left. When you were present in court, when you saw the text message that you sent to Javon and said, I'll be back, were you just quoting the Terminator or were you actually leaving? Uh, because if you were leaving and you left your phone behind and you were driving around with Anitra's phone, then Anitra would have to be dead then, wouldn't she? I don't know. DeMarcus goes on to complain about how he has been in jail for two years and that he should be getting back to his duties in the United States Army. It's unclear what this man's attorneys were thinking, allowing him to take the stand in his own defense, as he truly had no answers to any of the prosecution's questions other than a defiant, I don't know, um, or something to the same. It just shows how conceited and self-absorbed DeMarcus Little is, believing he could fool a jury without preparing any substantial argument that might actually benefit his defense or innocence plea. As a result, his defense was an absolute train wreck, and the final verdict would undoubtedly reflect that. The Superior Court of Peach County, State of Georgia versus DeMarcus DeMonte Little. The verdict is, count one, malice murder, read the jury find DeMarcus DeMonte Little not guilty. For count two, felony murder, we the jury find DeMarcus Devante Little guilty. Count three, aggravated assault, we the jury find DeMarcus Devante Little guilty. This 15th day of March, 2022. Showing absolutely no emotion, standing with the same tacky pinstripe suit and a mask over his face, DeMarcus Little was finally found guilty and he would be sentenced that very same day. The jury has found you guilty of felony murder under count two of the indictment, and to that, I sentence you to life without the possibility of parole. Count three, aggravated assault, while you were found guilty, that merges into count two, so that someone sentences life without the possibility of parole. Alleged co-conspirator Javon Abrams' case is still pending. He's facing criminal penalties for providing false statements and concealing a death. If convicted of the charges, he could face up to 10 years in prison. If DeMarcus Little couldn't have a Nitra gun, well then, no one could. And he made sure of that. The only takeaway we can possibly find in a case so tragic as this is that victims of similar domestic violence find a way out of their toxic relationship before it's too late. The ripple effects of Anitra's murder have negatively impacted so many, even leading to more death. As for David Howard, also known as Scoot, well, he's pretty lucky to be alive. Who knows what could have happened if he told Little where he was that day. he had already murdered one person, his, quote, soulmate, at that. 
it's not unreasonable to think he was on the prowl, looking to kill another. But luckily, DeMarcus Little will never have that opportunity ever again. <laughs>